Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. It's been a while, 14 days by my estimation, and that is a long time to be away from you and High FM. Trouble Pursuit is the name of the show, and as I said, I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudal. We will be exploring different African Jewish communities, that's what we do here every week. And of course, I've got some beautiful, beautiful music for you, all from Africa. I got some music from South Africa, I got some music from Nigeria, I got some music from Kenya. So I do hope you enjoy it, and I do hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning, and thank you for spending it with me. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to do so. 34519 is the SMS line. 061 is the Telegram line. You can email me on air at highfm.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can just at highfm and I'll get to your tweet as well. It's been a, it's been a while and we haven't talked. Let me know what I've missed, what I've missed. Let me know what you've missed. And of course, I will let you know what you missed in Africa and what's been happening in the past two weeks or so. And I'm very glad to tell you that we have a friend of the show today. And it's our first in-studio interview, so I'm kind of excited for that. We have Rabbi Moshe Sibahav coming through, and he'll be telling us his interaction with the different Jewish communities. And we'll also be learning a lot more. Because everywhere everywhere I've been or everyone I've talked to in the community said... You need to talk to Rabbi Soberhaft. If you're talking about black Jewish communities or Jewish communities in Africa, you need to talk to Rabbi Soberhaft. And I have listened, and that is exactly what I'm going to do. So stick around for that. That's going to be in the later half of the show, and I do promise you it's going to be fun. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9, hi FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. Time is 12 minutes past 10 and I hope you're enjoying the show, hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning and just enjoying the news and the music and I'm going to tell you what happened in Africa now just want you to hear me out because there's a few stories that I'd like to get to starting off in Zimbabwe once again a little closer to home Zimbabwe banned the, the import of Tiger Brands Tiger Brands baby powder products a month after the South African company recalled some of their items that may have been tainted by asbestos ooh I can hear Howard Feldman screaming now asbestos <laughs> given that a significant number of products in our super markets are sold from South Africa, there's a possibility that some of the batches of the baby powder in question are in Zimbabwe. The health ministry said in a statement dated the 7th of October, these products should be removed from the shelves or intercepted at points of entry. Tiger Brand said on the 7th of September that it was withdrawing some of its baby powder products after trace levels of asbestos were detected in samples after a raw material used in the manufacturing process. Ah, would you look at that, asbestos in baby powder. What's the worst that could happen? Hear me out. Hear me out. This sounds wrong. Sounds terrible. What do you mean? What's the worst that could happen? But what does asbestos really do? I haven't even heard anything from about asbestos in years. But anyway, Tiger Brands, baby powder, asbestos. We don't want babies to have asbestos in their skin. And this is something that I found really, really cool. As a music lover, this is probably the best news ever. The Grammys 
are considering adding an Afrobeats category. Wow. Can we get a round of applause for that if possible? The, the Grammys are considering adding an Afrobeats category. Round of applause. Beautiful. Thank you. Very good. So this is really cool for everybody involved in music in Africa, not as a whole, not not just in Africa, but all around the world, because Afrobeats is not just made in Africa these days. You have, you know, <laughs> you have musicians like Drake making Afrobeats albums, and I found that very cool. So this might just open the door for other musical genres, which is what I really love about it. We know that African music has been making a rise in the media, especially with Afrobeats and Amapiano from South Africa. We know that Amapiano has been doing doing waves all around the world, and even some of the biggest musicians in the world are either trying to make it, trying to collaborate with Amapiano artists, or just trying to copy some of that sauce that our South Africans have, but they will never. <laughs> so... Afrobeats is being added. Afrobeats, the pulsating fusion fusion sound coming out of West Africa and the diaspora has been on the rise globally for the better part of a decade. In recent years, the genre has gained a foothold in Western pop culture and the Grammys are taking notice. The Recording Academy CEO Harvey Mason Jr. recently said that the Grammys were considering adding an award category for Afrobeats. Speaking to reporters in Ghana over the weekend, Mason said he had been meeting with players in the genre to explore the possibility. He said, we called in producers, songwriters, artists, executives, and we had a virtual listening session where we heard about Afrobeat creators. He said at a September 24 news conference, we just talked about what the different subgenres are and what the desires are. Now, this could be very complicated. I say this because Afrobeats is more of an umbrella. You know, where are we going to take that? Are we going to stick to the more West, uh, North African music? You know, your Burner Boy, your DeVito, your Saudi Soul. Are we going to consider everybody that makes music that is considered Afrobeats? That would, of course, involve your South African musicians such as Muzi. So where could this go? Where could we take this? I would like to hear what you have to say on 34519. That's how you SMS me. 0618951019 is the telegram line. You can email me on air at highfm.com and you can tweet me at highfm. Let me know your thoughts. Are you excited? Are you excited about this news? Are you excited to hear who would win the first ever Grammy? And Afrobeats, that would be really cool. Looking at messages, by the way, I have a message from my friend Gail who says, Good morning, dear friend. Hey, friend, how you doing? Hope you have your cup of coffee with you as well. And I have a wave. It's just a wave emoji. I don't know what that means. I would hope it means hello. From Carlos Boala. Boalia. I'm sorry about that. Carlos Boalia, friend of the show. How are you? So, yeah, Grammys are coming. Grammys are coming. Wait, no. Afrobeats is coming to the Grammys. And I found that really cool. Moving forward to the last story, which is about Ebola. I really wanted to bring your attention to this because Uganda Ebola outbreak has recorded its first death in the capital city of Kampala. Now, an Ebola patient has died at a hospital in Uganda's capital, the health ministry has confirmed. He was the 19th victim in the current outbreak of the deadly virus, but the first to die in Kampala. There have been 54 confirmed cases in Uganda, but no other cases have been recorded in the city. 22 people have recovered, including five medics from the first hospital where a case was treated. They were discharged on Tuesday. The person who died in Kampala was already known to the authorities as having potentially come into contact with the virus. Now, this is pretty big news. And he was from outside the city, but Health Minister Dr. Jane Ruth Essing 
said the said the man ran away from his village disguised his identity and visited visited a traditional healer in a different region now the teams treated him and were alert to the dangers and had protected themselves because the patient arrived at the hospital when he was seriously ill so there's that as well the fact that what happens when you reach that point where you're seriously ill and we know that ebola is a very contagious disease what do you then do obviously the good thing is to go to the doctor but then you're also endangering a lot of other people but where else are you supposed to get help anyway that's all i wanted to say i didn't want to spend much time on it i just wanted to tell you that the ebola case in uganda is growing and hopefully it is being contained the disease does not spread too much we know that it does this well not every couple of years but every couple of years it would seem there's a trend that ebola, that the ebola virus makes a return and it well, this is going to sound insensitive, but it's going to kill a few people. And hopefully they're working on it. I, I know that they're also working on research for a vaccine. I will find out more for you next week. And I will let you know all about it because I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao. And the time is 19 minutes past 10. And I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday morning. 101.9 High FM. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. How beautiful was that? How beautiful was that? And I know it had you dancing because it had me dancing and I have two left feet. Rhythm, yes. The ability to use it, not so much. It's a weird, it's a weird relationship that dancing and I have. Anyway, that was straight from the Congo with Awilo saying, Carolina, do not go anywhere. We have a great show lined up. We have a great interview in a couple minutes. My in-studio guest just walked in and I'm so happy. I'm so excited because this is my first in-studio interview as opposed to the Zoom, you know. I, I enjoy I enjoyed doing everything and I enjoyed talking to our guests, but the computer screen was in between us. So that's really cool because now I get to talk to my guest in front, just in front of me. You know, if you have any questions, do feel free to send them through. 34519 is the SMS line. 061-895-1019 is the Telegram line. If you want to email me your, your messages or your questions, feel free to do that too on air at highfm.com. And you can tweet at highfm. But before we get there... It's time for me to bestow some wisdom upon you. Indeed it is. This is the part of the show where I tell you an African proverb and I hope it has either improved your day or made you smarter. If it does both, I am happy. Today's African proverb is when two elephants fight, it is the grass that suffers. I've actually been ignoring this one for a while because I didn't actually understand what it meant, but I actually went through the meaning and listen to this. When two elephants fight, it is the grass that suffers. When two leaders fight, it's the followers that experience the fallout. When two parents fight, it's the children that feel the brunt. There's always a consequence, which may not always be physical. In some cases, it's emotional, like children finding it difficult to connect to others. It could also be psychological, like followers not trusting anyone anymore. Mm, welcome to South Africa, I know a few people like that. And it could be spiritual, where, for instance, the victim's faith is shipwrecked. The sad thing, the sad thing is that oftentimes these fight, these, those fighting, ooh, Mukundi, you know how to read. Those fighting don't realize the effect of their actions or don't care about it. The irony though is that it's these innocent people who give definition to their position. For instance, without the plants, there would be no elephants. Without children, there would be no parents. And without followers, there can't possibly be leaders. Be sympathetic. So how cool is that? When two elephants fight, it is the grass that suffers. Kind of like in South Africa, we see a lot of fighting amongst our politicians and leaders, and the only people that are actually suffering is us. But this is not a political show. No, 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 it's not. 1026 is the time, 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao. Do not go anywhere. We'll be back with Rabbi Moshe Silberhaft straight after this. 
This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. We have a friend of the show in studio today, and it is Rabbi Moshe Silberhaft. Rabbi, how are you doing this morning? Good, thank you. Thank God. How are you? All good, thank you. All good. So I'm just going to go ahead and start out saying everybody talks about you. I don't know if you know this. You're very famous. Is that so? Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're very famous. Everybody I've talked to and some of the guests on the show as well, you've been mentioned a bunch of times, either saying we've talked to Rabbi Silberhaft or people giving me pointers on my show and saying you have to talk to Rabbi Silberhaft. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask, why, why did everybody tell me to talk to you? What's your relationship and your interaction with the, the different Jewish communities in Africa? Thank you for inviting me to your show. Um, as you say, Zoom stood between us at one stage with the screens, but now we're face-to-face, and it's an honor and a pr- privilege to be with you, Mukundi. Thank you. Uh, 1993, it became necessary to establish an organization called the African Jewish Congress, where Jewish communities around uh, Africa, that that's communities had diminished us to a, a low enough level that they couldn't sustain themselves and weren't represented internationally any longer. Hmm. And so um, this organization was established. We are their Jewish liaison. We are their religious liaison. We're their, um, in many cases, their, um, I wouldn't say Israel connection, but we are their Jewish uh, Zionist connection. And um, through our visits and our meetings to these various communities and the individuals, we've expanded into the wider communities there as well. Hmm. And how many communities could you say you've interacted with in all these years since 1993? So we work at, at we work with nine commun- active communities in southern sub-Saharan Africa, mm. um, and the interaction is is great, and it's on every single level necessary. From uh, people having problems with government in the sense of because they're Jewish, they they get uh, sidelined or if they're religious issues, uh, they reach out to us. Oh, and some of these communities aren't actually recognized as Jewish by the Israeli government for each each having their own reasons. What motivates you to still look beyond that and actually just help these communities how you see fit? So it's interesting. We, the Jewish people and the state of Israel, need to be inclusive, not exclusive. And what's important is if we're able to explain to people why the Israeli government does not acknowledge them as Jewish, halachically Jewish, mm. in most cases they actually appreciate it and they, and they understand where they're at and they welcome our interaction. It is absolutely wonderful to be able to interact with these communities throughout Africa, bringing them, first of all, education for themselves, for their children, Jewish education, Hebrew studies, uh, where required or where necessary and funds available, some kosher requirements as well, just so they get a feel of what kosher food is about, kosher lulav and etrog. Now we're in, this, in the festival of Sukkot. It's so important that we let people understand what goes on in the synagogue mm. and what it means to be Jewish. One of the greatest problems in history is that ignorance has has proven that people think or speculate what goes on in the synagogue, what goes on in, in Jewish homes, 
there's nothing secretive about it. And people have to be exposed to it and understand that it's all fine. Mm-hmm. We know that in the times that, that they believed that the Jewish people used to kill babies to use their blood to make uh, matzah on Passover, on Pesach. So we need to be inclusive. We need to explain to people what Judaism is about. Let them understand. But they need to understand that by doing that, we're not accepting them as Jews that the Israeli government would accept. Mm. But um, as your listeners will know, and as you know, uh, the tradition is that Jews are follow the maternal line. So if the mother is Jewish, then the children are Jewish. But in the African culture, it's the paternal line, the father line, the mm. male line. And that's where the problem comes in. So with people that don't follow the, matri- the matrilineal line or the father's line, or, and rather follow the father's line, as you said. Has, that been, has there been any backlash with regards to that? Have they said, no, but this is how we identify as Jewish. Why can't you accept that? Sure, all the time, absolutely. But that is our, our way is the way that has been accepted and has been for thousands of years, and we can't now change it because the, tradition, the African tradition is the paternal line, the father line. Hmm. And you've, you've realized, you said you've realized that if you're honest with them from the beginning and tell them that, look, this is what's going to happen, you're going to be, we're going to help you as best we can, but we're not really saying or identifying you as Jewish, we're just helping you because we want to help you as people. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. And also what's important is if you explain to them that, um, them being involved with us and, and, uh, let's say having synagogue services and building a sukkah, etc., may encourage them at some point to actually want to convert or in the orthodox halachic way, which is according to the rules of the Beth Din of Israel. Mm. Now, you do get some, and South Africa has got a huge, as you know, a huge black population, if you want to call it, not huge, but a large number of black South Africans that are converting to Judaism really? through the Beth Din of Johannesburg. And they are equal to anybody else. In Jewish law, black, white, not, etc., there's no difference. You know, everybody, everybody's equal. Everybody's equal. It's a matter of what your lineage is. Wow. Okay. And hypothetically speaking, this is something that I was thinking about while I was sitting. If the Israeli government were to change these rules or were to say, okay, we now follow we now allow people that identify as, Jew- as Jewish even if they follow the father's line. How do you see that affecting Judaism as a whole? We had once an experience in Israel when 130,000 Ethiopians arrived, were brought, were saved uh, from Ethiopia to Israel. Hmm. As long as people are kept in a, in, a, in a group initially when they arrive, it's fine, and then they slowly integrate. Hmm. You know, unfortunately, one of the highest levels of murder among groups in Israel is among the Ethiopians. And that is because the African culture is that the male is the superior in the family, and the, the, the female is the, I wouldn't say inferior, but second, the second one. Mm-hmm. They always say the male is the head, the female is the neck. The neck, that's uh-huh. right. But in Israel, the male often can't get a job, but the female gets the job if it's a nurse, if it's in the office, whatever it is. Mm. So when they come home, they say to the husband, please, you know, I've worked a full day, please help me. But that's against the African culture. Mm-hmm. 
help is not against, but I'm talking about the, the full culture and the mindset. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it becomes a problem. Of, of So what I'm saying is there's many aspects that need to be considered when you bring in people from different cultures into Israel or into the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a situation, or we have a situation uh, in South Africa where South African black people are converting to Judaism. And as I said, everybody's equal, you know. It's, we don't... But when they arrive at a synagogue, how do they prove that they're Jewish? Hmm. If a security officer says to them, can you tell me, um, you know, you don't look like everybody else, or you're new here, you're new at our synagogue, welcome, but can you, because you know that every synagogue has to have access control. Oh, yes, yes. And what does he do? He can't start carrying a little book that says, I'm Jewish. I mean, that's going back to you know where. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all these things need to be considered and need to be thought about very carefully and discussed with the applicants. And help them understand. And have them understand that they will land up with a, a potential problem. Hmm. And, and how do we deal with it? Consult them, work together with them. And I believe it has been resolved, this specific issue. Hmm. But also, Israel, thank God, is, is, is a, a country where it's just a huge blending pot of cultures from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, don't forget, cannot, if they convert to orthodoxy or convert, if the Beth Din of Israel say, the, the law of Israel says, yes, okay, these people are Jewish, and they have, but they have to follow all the rules. A lot of these communities can't afford it. A lot of these communities don't have the facilities. So what do you do? You're going to have to send out, uh, or you have to train them to how to be a shochet, a mohel, to do circumcisions, etc., to do slaughtering, kosher slaughtering, etc. So it's not just a matter of observing. It's a matter of the practice as well, the practicalities. So so what you're saying is there needs, there needs to be a necessary evil, and that evil is actually just having a disconnect or ignoring culture when it comes to religion. To religion. You should not mix the two. No, no, not at all. No, no. The Sephardim, for example, got a lot more active uh, cultures than the Ashkenazim, for example. No, no, no. What I'm saying and, is... And no, we welcome... To we, sorry, we welcome everybody's culture. Mm-hmm. As long as it doesn't contradict with... Yes, yes. That's exactly what I wanted to say with regards to these black communities that follow the Father's line. We, you have to tell them we respect your culture and we respect what you're saying. However, this is how we do things as Jews. And if you want to be Jewish, that's then it. you're going to have to do things our way. That's it. Wow. Wow. I bet that's angered a few people. And I actually wanted to ask you about that with regards to the Lemba in specific, to be specific. Cause the Lemba community in Southern Africa and parts of Africa are having this, this debate worldwide. Well, not worldwide, but. It's a big debate considering that the Remba identify as Jewish and they have their own customs and culture and traditions. However, the the conflict comes now because they don't want to convert to Judaism because they're saying, if we're Jewish, why should we already convert to Judaism? And that's exactly what you're saying, that you have to take in your culture and you have to respect what we do and follow our laws as as Israel. Do you ever see that? being different or do you ever see that working and them accepting that okay we'll respect your decision as Israel and we will convert the policy of the government of Israel is that they don't allow and we had a situation like that from Uganda where they don't allow Olim people to come to Israel as a group of convertees you have to come in as an individual 
Really? So, for example, the, in, in the Abu Yudaya, there's Rabbi Shlomo Ruskin, who's a famous Mizrahi rabbi in Israel, and he converted 260 approximately uh, black Jews, blacks to Judaism in Uganda. Okay. He did it the Orthodox way. Under his own rule, he didn't do it through an, through an official Beth Din, through a court or anything. Mm. And then these t- individuals applied to the Israeli government and said, okay, an Orthodox rabbi has converted us. We want to come as a group, 260 of us. We're coming as a group. And the Israeli government said, regrettably not. First of all, you didn't do it through the Israeli uh, channels. No, oh, yes. And second of all, we can't take a whole group of people that haven't converted as a group. Because, because according to Jewish law, they're not yet Jewish. They haven't converted the right way. Correct. And, Correct. The, and there are people that do this with the intention to, to just move to Israel for a sure. better life, isn't there? Well, that's something I, d- I, d- I didn't want to mention, but now that you mention it. Yeah, well, it's something that's come up in a right. lot of the talks I've right. had with people. Okay, good. So, so we can address it. Many of the cases when you ask the individuals that want to make Aliyah, they want to go and live in Israel, the majority are quite happy to stay in their African culture, in their African tribes, in African cities, wherever they live, and live their lives there and, and practice many Jewish uh, practices. They're very happy with it. But those that want to go to Israel have this um, dream that it's, it is a first world country, but once they arrive there, everything will be taken care of and they will just cruise. They won't have to worry about uh, lights and water or whatever the, the, the limitations and, and, and challenges they have wherever they're coming from. And that becomes a problem. So often the applicants aren't really genuine about wanting to convert for the love of Judaism, mm-hmm. but they're looking for a better life, and they see that Israel has got all this uh, success, and they want to uh, be part of that and benefit from it. So it's a, it's a problem. It, it, it's not a, clean, not a clear-cut situation. Mm. And is there anything that you guys, as, your, as an organization, do in order to try to curb that or to stop that from happening be it helping people with the conversions or anything like that so as i said in my introduction we're very honest with all our applicants with all the people we deal with we don't deal directly with conversion Hmm. but we refer them to the the um, appropriate organizations either in south africa or internationally etc to assist them Hmm. most i'll tell you fall off after a while because it's just too difficult Mm, mm. Um, there's this dream again I'm repeating myself but there's this dream that uh, you get uh, put in the mikveh they dip you in the in the, in the mikveh in the pure water and then you come out you're Jewish and then that's it you're, you're done And uh, it's a process it's a huge long process and it's not just a matter of learning the subject you actually have to live it to understand it to experience it conversion isn't just something that you get either circumcised and put in the water, in the mikveh, and, and, and done. It doesn't work like that. Mm. That's why it takes so long. Is There is the study, and then there's the practice. And until you've lived it, you can't be considered Jewish. 
Okay, 11.9 High FM, this is Trouble Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. We have a friend of the show in studio, Rabbi Moshe Silberhaft, and he's telling me what he knows about the African Jewish communities, his experience, and all the little details in the middle. If you do want to get in on the conversation, feel free to do so. 34519 is how you SMS me, 0618951019 is how you telegram me. You can email me on air at highfm.com, and you can simply tweet me at highfm. However, we will be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9, Chai FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. Time is 10.44, and we have a friend of the show in studio, Rabbi Moshe Silberhaft, still with us, and we are having a good chat. So, Rabbi, I wanted to ask about these communities and the challenges that they face, that you've seen, that you've observed. What are some of the challenges or the trends that you've seen with regards to these communities? Well, they're the practical challenges of them wanting um, items for observance. It comes uh, Rosh Hashanah, they want a shofar, a horn to blow the horn, so they need somebody to teach them how to do it. First of all, first of all, you need to get a shofar that's not just made on the farm, but it has to be certified halachically, uh, correctly made um, to make sure that it's a kosher shofar. Then so you, you can't just go grab a shofar. Uh, you can't just grab really? any horn and start blowing. <laughs> you have to know what you, you're blowing with. Then you've got to learn the, the tunes and how to do it, etc. Now Sukkot, they want a lulav and a drog, the four species. Um, kosher, for example. A lot of the tribes only observe the written law, which means whatever the Torah says before the explanation after the five books of Moses. Mm. Because these they are one of the tribes, the ten tribes that uh, I'm sure you've heard this from some of your other um, people that you interviewed. That's why, for example, there's the famous Y chromosome that everybody talks about. And in the black community, it's much stronger than in the Jewish com- white Jewish community. And please don't get upset I'm using black or white, but that's just the reality at the moment and what <laughs> we're talking about. And the reason for that is, first of all, they go the paternal side, so it goes male to male, which is much stronger. Mm-hmm. And also what happened was is after the tribes split, after Moses came down from Mount Sinai and they were coming into Canaan, etc., so they didn't get the interpretation. So, for example, the Torah says about the mitzvah, of tefillin, of phylacteries. Hmm. It says, God says you should make a sign between your eyes and a sign next to your heart. So we put on tefillin, which is that black box with the straps, etc. Hmm. But these uh, communities never knew about that. They don't know about that. So a sign for them maybe mean just make a little cokey sticker or put a little dot on your head and that's the sign between your eyes. So there's a whole cultural and, and practical uh, area that hasn't been explored that they haven't been exposed to um, the law of kashrut of kosher mm. it says in the Torah you should not, not cook a kid in its mother's milk that's where we derive kosher from so they only don't cook a, a, a baby sheep a kid in its mother's milk so. but, but other things are fine uh. I'm not saying pork etc but Mm-hmm. How to, you know, after you've eaten a cow, for example, or, or meat, you can have dairy because the Torah doesn't say you can't. It's, it's, so, so I'm saying there was, they don't have that explanation 
So it's very difficult. So we try and teach them to understand all those um, disciplines. I don't like to use law, the, the word laws. They're more like disciplines. Because that is what religion is. It's a discipline. Mm-hmm. And uh, so t- today, thank God, there's, there's Zoom, not Zoom, there's Google, etc., and they can go online, those that have, you know, the facilities. But on a whole, it's it's really basic t- teaching people, and they and they and they love it. They they they're so welcoming. Oh, and oh, yeah. And with that, I was about to ask. I know that most of these communities are loving and welcoming and open to the idea of these laws. Let's call let's not call them laws. You said practices. What about the the communities that already identify as Jewish, like the? I don't want to just use them as an example, like the Lemba and the Igbo, as opposed to the Abayudaya community that are self-taught and don't have any Jewish or don't claim to have any Jewish roots. So everything you teach them, they take and learn as is. What about the other cultures that already had their own laws and practices in in place? How do they take that? So a lot of that they haven't studied either because mm. they also were part of the 10 tribes that got lost along the way. Mm. However... The reality is that in South Africa and around the world, the Israeli government and the Israeli Beth Din set the standards for conversion and Judaism. Mm. If they, if there's, they're enough of a force and they feel they're legitimate, let them apply to the Israeli government as a, as a group and say, listen, this is our background. This is who we are, etc. Mm. And let's see what they say. We in South Africa or in Zimbabwe or in Zambia or Mozambique, wherever I'm the rabbi to the uh, non-resident rabbi, we don't have the authority for that. Mm-hmm. Because in all our African countries, we have uh, communities that, that uh, are either connected to the Lemba or um, wanting to be identified as Jewish. Wow. So the issue is that I've said to them all along, it doesn't help to come here in South Africa to our representative body, the Jewish Board of Deputies, and say, we demand to be Jewish. Recognize the wrong truth. Absolutely. Totally. And even to go to the Beth Din, which is our rabbinical um, court here, ecclesiastical court, they're not the avenue. You have to go to the Israeli courts, kick the door down and say, we we are, you know, you accept us. Mm -hmm. Or come to a compromise or discuss it. I don't know what. I mean, I don't know what they would do. But that's that's how it would work. That's the only option for them. Only option. No other way. No other way. Unless right. they want to become Jewish following the rules <laughs> of the Beth Din, that, that's something else. All Which right. I must tell you, I'm not often understanding why they see that as a weakness. Because it only adds disciplines and practices to their already existing observance. So it defeats the purpose. Yeah. Wow. 101.9, Chai FM, this is Travel Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudal. Rabbi, I wanted to ask one more question. It's more like story time, because I found it as a beautiful story and something that's inspiring for everybody, you know, especially since it's all about helping each other as a community. I was talking to Sam Levy of the Mozambican Jewish community, and he was telling me that you, you helped him open up the, the synagogue there in Mozambique after it's been, after it had been abandoned. Well, he said not abandoned, more like used for something else for years and also helped in returning their Torah to the synagogue. How was that? Tell me about that experience. So Mozambique, Lorenzo Marx, now Maputo have a wonderful his, Jewish history. It goes back to 1898 when Jews were not allowed to be in South Africa by the government at the time, the British government, and they were sent 
um, out of South Africa to Mozambique. And at one point there was a Pesach, a Passover, where there were 500 Jews that were sent there by the government of South Africa. Well, then it was the Union of South Africa. And they decided that it's important that they build a, a community center. The center was only built in 1926, and it it it. Uh, carried on successfully to the 1970s when Frelima and Renama decided to go to war and then all the Jews left and the synagogue was not abandoned absolutely but the keys were given to the local I think it was the Red Cross at one stage mm. and they used it and we asked them well they asked them at that stage to just look after the building till things settled down in the mid 1980s a local uh, Greek ambassador uh, who has a friend of the Jews saw this building just standing there derelict, and he thought and things had settled, independence had come, etc. And he contacted government of Mozambique, and he said, listen, this building actually belongs to the Jewish community, and he found the paperwork, and he called us in, and it was returned to the Jewish community. Um, and over the years, uh, Jews people started to go to re- to, not to re- people started to go and settle in Mozambique, there's a very small Jewish community there, but there is a Jewish presence. And over the years, we've developed the building, we've expanded on it, we've uh, had to read, uh, have to do certain uh, renovations, etc. But it's a lovely small building, going back from 1926. And we have certain uh, services where we do allow Mozambican black people mm. to come. That's are part of these groups that say that they're Jewish, etc. And uh, we do allow them to come, and we welcome them, in fact. And some of the, the even the Shabbat services, <coughs> excuse me, they're, they're allowed, not allowed, they're invited to come and, and participate. Oh, wow. The Torahs were removed in 1970s uh, by the Raigor family. And, excuse me, <coughs> and in 1993, Chief Rabbi Harris, who was our chief rabbi at the time, um found a Sefer Torah, and he returned it to the community. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, then it was removed for a while, and then in 2013, Mrs. Harris uh, returned the Torah to the community, and it's still there today. Wow. So it's all... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Not a problem. So it's it's all just a matter of a, a guy making a call to the Mozambican government and saying, hey... That building is not yours. It's for the Jewish people. Let the Jewish people come in. <coughs> and then the community has seen a steady growth ever since. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful story. I actually have a message for you from Bro Sazi who says, I love this rabbi for speaking the truth. So you have people that love you, rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I'd like to thank, thank you for you. taking the time to talk to us today and all your information that you had to give us. Thank you for taking the time to join the show. And I say this to all my guests, but you're the first one in studio. So I'll say to you personally, you are officially good friend of the show <laughs> thank you very much and, and congratulations to you for tackling this issue on such a uh, politically wise manner because it can get uh, as we know hairy but as i said in my introduction if you deal with people correctly and honestly it can never go wrong thank you very much that was rabbi Silberhaft. thank you for joining the show and i'm your dear friend Mukun Mudal. this is 101.9 high fm trouble pursuit is the name of the show and we'll be back straight after this this is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 
101.9 High FM. This is Trouble Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. I hope you enjoyed the show. That's all I have for you today. <laughs> I will be back with you in seven short days. Thank God. And I've Craig in the studio pressing all the buttons. Thank you for doing that today, Craig. Gave me a thumbs up. Not a man of many words. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed this show. It feels good to be back. It's been a long 14 days, man. I've been away from radio and from your airways for too long but your dear friend Mukundi is back and let's do this again in seven short days I do not leave you alone I leave you in the responsible safe hands of the Kenyan band otherwise known as Saudi Soul saying Susanna as always until next time enjoy the rest of your day Hi FM your station of choice since 2008